This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, bitches. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in South Florida. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond. Welcome to our show. We're happy to have you. Uh, Three-man operation tonight. First off, Omar Mubayet. How you doing, buddy? Ah, the microphone works. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is good. <laughs> Familiar territory. Soccer is back domestically. Shit show internationally. Ooh, this is going to be great. And we will get to both those things shortly. And uh, I want to welcome a new voice uh, to the podcast, a friend of ours. Uh, glad to have him on, and we'll be having him on a little bit more regularly. Franco Caliz Aguilar. Franco, how you doing, pal? Good, but friend is such a strong word. Fair point. Fair enough. Uh, workplace associate. Is that what uh, Ron Swanson used to refer uh, a mere to as? Acquaintance. On a, yeah, acquaintance. Um, so uh, Franco is one of three uh, new contributors we are hoping to bring on to Magic City Soccer as we ramp up into the domestic season um, here in the United States as Inter-Miami has kicked off last weekend and Miami FC uh, queued up later this month. Um, Joel Delgado and Nick Nunez both. Uh, uh, we hope to have them on at some point. Uh, in the near future, and they're writing contributions as well. We'll be seeing on the website. And uh, we do want to point out that our and I will be the one to take the joke. Abel Iarola was planning on joining us earlier, but uh, uh, agreed to and then pulled out as quickly as the Super League did from their plans earlier this week. Um, so, uh, yeah, so Abel uh, will be joining us at some point, uh, not tonight, but again in the near future as we get started with the season. And let's speak of that season, gentlemen. Uh, Inter-Miami CF Stadium kicking off a season, home opener against LA Galaxy. It's the game that wasn't than was. It was the game that was supposed to take place March 14, 2020, to open up Inter-Miami CF Stadium, or Drive Pink Stadium, as it's now called. Uh, Franco giving me a shake of the head. No, uh, I think for a lot of folks, it's just going to be new Lockhart or Lockhart, but you know what we mean. Um, a 3-2 game, an exciting game, an unfortunate result for Inter-Miami, there's a lot to discuss. I feel like there's a lot of meat on this bone for this game, um, a lot of talking points, and so I want to dive into it. Franco, you were at the game. You were in the stands with a friend, Abel. You got the fan experience, the getting in of it. I, I want to delve into that too because I think that's really important to dive into considering the circumstances. But in terms of looking at the 90 minutes on the pitch, uh, what did you take away from it? It's, it's the same frustrating team from last year, right? Like it's the, the same team that has bits in, in, in where they look very composed and then they just, they seem to fall apart. Their tendency for, for just self-implosion. I, the only thing that surprised me about this match was that there were no red cards, right? Like, but other than yes. that, finishing with 11 on the pitch was a surprise. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's a, the same team we saw in a lot of ways, mentally just very fragile, Physically, they, they don't seem to be there yet. Um, just frustrating. Just a frustrating team on that front. Would, would, I will you say say though, team, would you say this team is generating more chances, though, than last year's team? Because I feel like, you know, watching bits and pieces of this game, and I will admittedly say I, I was not able to watch the full 90, but it almost seemed like the attacking firepower is more prevalent just off this first match alone than we saw all of last year during, you know, the MLS COVID fest. 
<laughs> That's an unfortunate name for an unfortunate tournament. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would just say, look, it was uh, there was definitely more chances created. Um, there were some strange tactical choices that reduced the creation of chances. You know, when you take off Pizarro, Morgan, Matuidi, <laughs> for you know, it's it's one of those where 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 I have questions around it. But you definitely saw a lot of uh, quick counterattacks um, that seemed more composed. Um, this year, you were able to see a little bit more movement. There wasn't the over-reliance on EYN as much this time around, or Rodolfo having to carry the load for everybody. You know, like, it seemed last year at times he was the only one. He, it was either, like, hoof it up to EYN or, uh, or or have Rodolfo do everything himself. There was definitely a lot more movement this time. Robbie Robinson played really well. Uh, more, Lewis Morgan does what he always does, right? Created chances fast down, down the line. Um needs to learn how to track back, but on the offensive side, much, much better on that front. And I think there was also just a level of solidity between um, Tweedy and Gregor, or Gregor, I don't know how to pronounce his name yet. He's still mm -hmm. too new for me on that front, right? Um, there was a defensive solidity that meant the attackers had a little bit more range to go forward, which was helpful um, as well. Yeah, I was, a couple of things you mentioned that I, I wanted to, I think, emphasize, I think they're important. Positive, I want to talk about the positive first. And to me, the biggest positive revolved really around everything in and around Robbie Robinson. I, I thought he had a really tough go of it last year and it showed how much of a rookie he was. And it was unfortunate, I think, how much Inter-Miami really leaned on him in that forward position so frequently early on in the season. Um, and I thought he was, I thought he was great. I thought he was really, he put in a really good shift and it seemed like there was a real partnership that has kind of developed between him and Iguain. It was appropriate that Iguain set up his goal. Um, it was there. It was there repeatedly throughout that match. And so, as you said, the ch Omar, and as you alluded to, Omar, the chances last year, it was rough. They were hard-earned chances that more often than not weren't finished. So you didn't get many of them. And when you did, usually they didn't turn out well. This wasn't a, a problem of putting the ball on the frame. There were 19 shots from Inter-Miami, eight on target. Um, and, and I know the commentary towards the end of the match, it, was, it seemed to be really hard on Higuain, you know, because Chicharito netted a brace, which is really impressive and good for him. And, of course, those are the comparison points. Um, and, you know, they were really kind of dumping on well. Can I just you know. say my, my sheer – I'm a former United fan. My sheer hatred of Chicharito both as a Mexican national team <laughs> player <laughs> and as a, uh, a very fortunate scorer of goals – the, the second one of his brace, like... He's I, a compiler. Like, Call it what it is. He's a oh compiler. My God. I don't know if you guys remember this. He was still playing for United, and I think it was a goal against, like, Chelsea, where, like, he kicked it. The ball rebounded off of the goalkeeper at the time, Peter Cech, hit him in the face and went into the goal. Yes. Like, that is, like, your classic Chicharito goal, right? Like, like gets in the right position, has no idea what the hell is going on, and just God smiles upon him. Like that's that feels like like the the story of his career. Oftentimes, he, he's he's the, the probably the second person I would pen right after Landon Donovan as the most opportunist on the soccer pitch and scoring goals. Landon Donovan never scored the pretty super classy goal, but he put away the garbage in front of the net, and Chicharito seems to do the same, right? He just He's an opportunity. He's always in the right place at the right time. As you mentioned, gets his face on the ball and gets it past Peter Cech. Yes, I do remember that game. That was a couple of years back, though. I'm old. Yeah, you know, I'm old. I think he's... I think he's a, a classic poacher, you know, and, and there's... And they mentioned on the broadcast, too, there's something to be said about a guy that's always in the right place at the right time. 
right? Even though it doesn't necessarily look pretty, that kind of, that that mental mindset of kind of reading the game and seeing where that's going to happen, obviously part of it's luck, but, you know, luck is preparation and perspiration, right? I guess. Um, But yeah, so the good, Robinson, Iguain, I I think the attack was solid, although Iguain didn't get paid off with the goal, uh, with the uh, in-play goal. He had the penalty goal. Uh, which is good, but you know, still trailing Chicharito. The bad. Can I can I ask something on the positive side here? Sure. Um, Gonzalez Perez, I thought was really really solid. Got that early booking, stupid early booking at that, right? But apart from that, uh, made a couple of last minute challenges. His positioning was pretty solid. Wasn't as rash as Figal, um, and just there was definitely some improvement coming from him. He's the one member of the back line who I was I was impressed with uh, coming out of this out of this matchup from from year to year growth. But even and then, think, LGP wasn't necessarily the problem last year compared to the rest of that back line. If there was somebody who was a rock last year, if anybody, we were going to point at LGP and say, okay, yeah, he got the job done. I think even more so than that, though, you got to be impressed by Jovan Jones because as being the left back, the, the left back to me is, is almost a position that can make or break a back line uh, just because of how many roles they actually have to play, right? And how pivotal we've seen, you know, when we look at Miami FC's runs in the NASL, and, and, and even moving forward into the MPSL when obviously they had no place to play. But the left back was almost a position that drove that team forward, whether it was Robert Casero, whether it was, uh, you know, Blake Smith or any of those guys. All of a sudden, that was a point of attack and a point of emphasis. And Jovan Jones coming into the team now this year, you know, playing in Seattle, not necessarily, you know, being in the shadows of um, uh, DeAndre Yedlin, because DeAndre Yedlin obviously played on the right side, but there was a lot of similarities between the two as they were moving up through the youth system. So I almost wonder, in a sense, you know, Jovan Jones stayed off the stayed off the radar. So, you know, any time that you're a defender and your name isn't coming up, you've had a decent day uh, more often than not. So I'm kind of impressed at, at his point. You know, he, he he won the tackles that he attempted. He didn't make any big, cha- any, any big uh, you know, glaring mistakes on the back line. You know, 87% passing rate. I think this is a good point of emphasis here for, for, for growth. Hold on. So I will say, so, so listeners know, I, I, uh, I was a Colorado Rapids fan for a while while I lived up there. Uh, my first year, they won the MLS Cup while I was up there. And so, you know, it's, it's hard not to support for your, for your local team. Your Jesus Christ. No, no, totally, totally Jesus. no trophy chase. That was my first year. So, you know, um, and the fusion had long been, uh, long been a, a memory. Uh, so uh, was with them. One thing that I noticed being the stadium, and, and I might get the, name, the, the the pronunciations here a little bit wrong. My MLS is rusty. My, my European soccer is on point. My MLS, not so much. Leardom and Jones, to me, hugely problematic during this game, right? And so the reason for I, I, the reason why I'll say this, and I pointed it out to Abel a couple of times, pointed it out to my girlfriend who was with me at the time, both of them clearly had instructions to run up and down the wing, right? Both of them were way too far upfield. The second goal that um, that LA scored, completely the fault of Leardom, who had gone, gone AWOL, basically, and was further than some of the midfielders down the down the field to me if you're gonna try to pin your opponent back it worked really well that first half both of them gave up way too much space during the second half and you can actually see it when they kept passing to i believe it was fisher on the on that side and yep. they just kept giving up chance after chance after chance and actually jones oftentimes would lose his, his, the person he was supposed to be marking so 
you know, that, that, I know that, what the stats say. role, though. That's an instruction. You know, what, whatever Neville's asking him to do, he's going to do, right? Do you want him to be the jack of all trades and to not only occupy space but also be able to fly up and down the wings? Yeah, in a perfect world, he's gonna he's gonna literally do everything to the best of his abilities. But at the same time, if the orders from Neville were, "Hey, I need to deploy you in an advanced position." More often than not, yes, you're going to see some slip up on the back end, but that's also when you need the help from the rest of the back line, and you need a guy like Matuidi or Gregor to maybe fall back just a little bit and cover that space. And Gregor did. I don't know that Matuidi always got the, the that part of his game right, you know. Um, but I will say, you know, you were mentioning the stats. I think there's the stats, and then there's the eye test. In, in the eye test, the eye test, they both struggled. And I remember this actually from that championship winning season that the Rapids had afterwards. I hated Drew Moore with every fiber of my being because every time someone would come down that that, um, that side of the pitch, you just you cringed. And I had that both sides of the pitch. Like, every time they were down the middle of the field, I was like, okay, well, there's there's a shape there, right? This time, it really just seemed like they, they weren't prepared to do the rotations the way that they needed. And some of the tracking back, the team just seemed to physically die at the end of this game and i think you see it in the possession when it's 67 33 right like yeah. galaxy was just so much more composed in the ball i like if we're gonna play counterattack football i like it it's gonna it's gonna highlight some of the strengths of morgan and robinson but i wonder how that's gonna diminish Iwain's game given that he will just say he's not the paciest uh player mm-hmm. in the league you know and omar i think you mentioned something that that i wanted to bring up and it's one game and it's the first game. And so it is, I'm couching this. Um, I think to me, as much as any single player, um, I think Phil Neville has to kind of hang this one on him a little bit. Uh, I think it was a tactical decision to advance those wing players. And it was, to me, it was very clear this team, at least the components of it, does not have 90-minute legs yet. And I think that in the middle of the day on a Sunday in South Florida, when it felt like 95 degrees or whatever it was, and you, frankly, you guys know you were dying in the stands. Uh, Abel's about to pass out, it seemed. Uh, we were worried about him. Um, Awa! This is I think, I think Greg Vanny took Phil Neville's lunch money in that last 30 minutes. I, I think it was a very even match uh, advantage inter Miami for 60 minutes. And you give up a goal in that time. Of course it's, it's a game. What are you going to do? I think from the, the moment that that penalty goes in for Iguain there on, like not only did the score reflect uh, an LA galaxy side that deserved the win, you could see it. You could see it happening and you could see the changes that Vanny was making. And you could see that Phil Neville didn't have anything. He wasn't making any significant changes. He was very late on substitutions. It's hot, man. And, and you have so many new faces in starting roles. You have so many new players, period. They're not used to this heat humidity yet. And, and it is early on. It's still spring. It's still April, but it's summer, man. In that weather, it's summer. And that team got cooked, literally got cooked. And I think that Phil Neville, I think the tactics didn't adjust with the, the environment. And I think the players weren't ready for the heat. And for an LA team to come in here and adjust, adjust better to that humidity than Florida team, that's bad. That, that's a bad look. And, and to me, it was, it was rather obvious. I mean, I think that's something, though, that you learn over time and experience of being here, right? For you sure. Can't, For you sure. know what I'm saying? So at the same time, I, I, you even look at a lot of the managers, you know, granted, again, this is the first full season with fans that we're seeing Inter-Miami actually getting now an extra energy feed 
from the crowd being in the stadium because you know wh whatever last year was it, it wasn't going to be a complete picture you didn't you never knew what you were going to get you never had you know it was a benchmark perhaps maybe but think of it as a pretest right more than anything else this year you've got that first chapter of the exam and you're going to figure out where to go from here I think it takes time though for people to understand that extra element here where people don't necessarily equate hey when we're having training you know and it's hot or it's january february all of a sudden now as we get into the latter months holy crap we're really kicking this up a notch i wouldn't be surprised if this is going to be the last three o'clock midday game we're going to get for quite some time because hmm. you know realistically speaking this, this is ridiculous there is a reason miami fc plays games at seven o'clock at night on a saturday or on a on a weeknight, and and why is it? No, it's not necessarily just so that people can go home from work. No, 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 dude. It's, there's clearly a tactical advantage there that, that they're gaming in, and the fact is, you you know, you're playing in 95 degree heat with 95 percent humidity, dude. Somebody's going to drop. The legs are going to go. The next home game against Atlanta is at one o'clock. <laughs> so, I, mean, I mean, dude, it's pray for rain, dude. I don't even know what to tell you. That's ridiculous. I mean, but but it's a short shift because if if inter and again, I don't know how MLS scheduling works, right? You know, a lot of the times you see a lot of the leagues around around the country. It doesn't matter what sport it is, you put in a request for a certain game time kickoffs, right, or puck drops or whatever. Um, and usually those are honored, and they take into account geographical locations, etc. You're going to have one o'clock games in the scorching heat. You know, it's, listen, it's, <laughs> it's not going to last very well. Those legs are going to go, man. And, and, and what you don't want to see is a continual uh, situation where players habitually look unfit. Uh, and then it leads to injuries because they are not fit enough to perform in that kind of environment. It is something to, to keep in mind that I notice I'm a season ticket holder, right? Uh, all the away games seem to have time set all the home games are TBD for the most part, you know, and I think it's exactly for that reason. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. I mean, listen, the away games, whatever, man, fine. You know what I mean? Listen, not everybody can be Atlanta United playing in a dome with AC with Chick-fil-A being served <laughs> on a Saturday, right? Like, no, we don't have those luxuries here, man. So, you know, give me a nice night cool off. Let the temperature dip to the upper eighties. Let the humidity drop into like the 60, 70% and we're good to go. But you're going to do a noon scorcher. Come on. That's like a noon kickoff. You know what, Matt, you know what that is? It's a noon kickoff game during the Al golden era with black hurricane jerseys and black helmets. And then your team gets run off the field by Clemson because hey, man, it's hot as hell. I'm still going to say it was hot as hell. And there wasn't a talent issue. It's hot as hell. Can, can we can we just take a quick second here to to recognize a true soldier in Able who by the time I got to my chair about five minutes into the game was already on the verge of passing out. Someone like we need we need to get this man a, a bubble, some air conditioning. I don't Did know. Did he wear the black but, kit? Is that what it was? Uh, he wore a black shirt, which was maybe not the best life choice he's ever made. Johnny, but uh, he was he was asking anything for, but black. He, he was asking for water, a cap. Uh, sunglasses were all brought up. I, I mean, like the, the team store basically just funded its operations off of Abel in the first match, y'all. <laughs> That's funny. It was it was all worthwhile. They made up their losses from last year off of uh, water, water, and and, and uh, provisions. Yeah, you know, it's look. Here's the thing. It's all well and good to say that, like, you know, you've got to adjust to it. LA Galaxy adjusted to it. And, and they're in LA. We're in Florida. They're in LA. LA is hot, can get hot, but it's not that humid. 
And it's not that hot out there right now. It's not getting up to temperatures we were having. Now, admittedly, we haven't really had those temperatures either. That was kind of our first really hot snap over the weekend. So you would hope as that heat kind of ramps up as we get into our summer over the next few days, maybe the next week or two, uh, that there'll be more opportunity to adjust to it. But it was just very like, it was very surprising, you know, to see a team that you wouldn't associate with being able to deal with that, coming in and deal with that so comfortably. And really it was through co- coaching adjustments. I felt more than anything else. I don't think LA Galaxy was like some sort of freaking fitness machine or anything like that. I think that there were substitutions made at appropriate windows. I think there were tactical adjustments in the game to recognize the impact of the heat and 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 kind of, to use the word I used earlier, poach on some of the weaknesses of Inter-Miami. And, and Inter-Miami didn't adjust accordingly and they paid the price. One of the things that, that you brought up earlier was getting out coached. You know what made a huge difference and is going to make a big difference because of the weather is the uh, the hydration breaks. I yes. you know in, in LA's LA's first goal went against came against the run of play, frankly. Um, yes. But it but all of the the water breaks actually led to tactical changes by from by LA, and you could tell that they were implementing different strategies. Inter Miami came out on fire, right? And they they actually, I would say, really sort of edged them in the first half. Like I said before, they physically and mentally sort of fell apart a little bit. Um, and, I, and I think this is where some of Neville's potential lack of high-level uh, coaching experience is going to show up. And particularly if we're going to see, it, like, these kickoffs where, where they're going to come up over and over and over again. So hopefully – Hopefully he's grown, um, and, and hopefully we'll we'll see that growth in the manager as well. But I am nervous about the fact that we, the more water breaks there are, the more um, the more likely it is that he'll be outcoached by some of the the sharper minds in, in across the league. And I think it is worth mentioning Franco because you did mention it, and I didn't really allude to it as a positive. They look great for thirty minutes, and they look good for sixty. You know, the, the beginning of that game, it was really sharp. I mean, you had the, after the first goal, you had the reactions on Twitter, like it was going to be a, a parade to the, uh, the championship. You know, I know you were there live, but I was at home and kind of taking in the broadcast and social media experience. And, you know, uh, Sam uh, Stegskull of uh, The Athletic was basically saying that inter Miami was going to wrap up a ton of points this year after goal one. Uh, so, and and it, was, it was after an impressive bit of play. Um, and again, you, the, the possession numbers you mentioned – were lopsided, but they became lopsided over the course of the game, over the course of that second half of the game. The shot numbers, again, impressive. It shows that Miami has at least the attacking part of the game. If they could be a little bit more clinical, they could have had four or five goals in that game and won it, but it didn't look bad. It was the, the defensive aspect and specifically the second half defensive aspect. And unfortunately, like you began um, the podcast saying, looked a lot like 2020. It looked a lot like a lot of games that, Miami had in 2020, but instead of it being 2-1, it was 3-2, right? Instead of scratching out one goal, they had two pretty good goals and could have knocked in a couple more, but they couldn't hold the lead at the end. And, and that is a worrisome trend that you want to see them break out of and break out of quick. So I'll give you a hot take. Can I give you a really quick hot take here? Here we go. Incoming. Miami is the second best team whose home stadium is Drive Pink Stadium. Because Montreal <laughs> dealt better with the weather, made better tactical changes, and absolutely destroyed Toronto. <laughs> it's concerning, y'all. It's He's going to fit in just fine around here, Matt. Let me tell you, he keeps blasting these hot takes. Yes, ready He's going to fit in just fine around here. And again, to go back to what I said earlier, L.A. dealt with the heat. Montreal dealt with the heat, right? So even though they're not based in Montreal, you would assume the power rankings in terms of heat dealing would be Miami, L.A., 
Toronto Montreal flipped the script. So Montreal really did, did an excellent job in their weird kind of spring training opener down here in Florida. Are they selling tickets for those games before we segue into the next? I could not. I could not find single ticket games. Can we, but I was more. Can we do it? I, I just was, need to walk in and be like, "Je parle pas français." Let's go. <laughs> As the only go. person here who's ever been to Montreal, just show or just show up with some poutine, you'll be let in. That's that's I believe the actual price of the tickets. That makes great is a lie. Cigarettes. I've been to Montreal. Lovely city. But have you been to the Biodome? Uh, I I've been to Olympic Stadium, and and yeah, I did go to the Biodome. Oh, nice! I actually saw uh, the U seventeen World Cup at the at the Olympic Stadium. Ah, well, that, that's a flex. I didn't see any sporting Yeah, thank you. Yeah, right. As quickly as he fits in, this as quickly as we're going to throw his ass right back out. So <laughs> one of my glaring um, conversations, and this is a good segue here into, into uh, next weekend's match against the Philadelphia Union. Uh, longtime Philadelphia Union goalie, or even backup goalie, uh, John McCarthy, now in the, between the pipes for Inter-Miami CF, did man the pipes for the playoffs. Uh, did bend the pipes after Robles went down at the end of last year. Um, didn't look good. Um, could be a rusty That's start. That's an understatement. But, yeah, I'm trying to be nice. Uh, didn't look good. Um, has a revenge match here against his former team next week. My fear with, with McCarthy is if he doesn't get into form quickly, we're going to see the defense or, or the back line really – kind of start losing faith in him. And if they start losing faith in him, I can see their quality of play begin to slip even more. And that that's kind of the scary point. You know, I, I don't know how much better Castaneda is. And I apologize if I, um, you know, butchered that last name. I do apologize. But I, and where do we go from here? Because we have to wait until July, until Marsman gets here uh, at this point to see any kind of relief. And is it too early to be ringing the alarms? It was a bad first game. <laughs> it was just a bad first game. I mean, like I said, I, I picked on both the left back and the right back earlier. Uh, but, I mean, Figal was a, a walking nightmare. There was one sliding challenge in the area where if he had had, uh, had waited an extra tenth of a second, he, he would have brought a man down. Like, it's just – it's that back line inspires no confidence for me. And then I've got a goalkeeper who looks unable to react to a soccer ball. Like, I don't – I'm just – one of the worst outings by a professional goalkeeper I've seen in a long time, you know? Um, so I'm hoping, <laughs> so, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping he turns it around, but for me, uh, put me on, put me on the, pl- on the red planet. Cause I need Marsman here quick. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not great y'all. Man, I was going to come in and kind of defend him, but you salted the earth. I'm a little bit afraid to say anything now. I, I thought that, it's obviously what not did you like? Was it his his errant positioning? Was it his uh, <laughs> nearly drugged out reflexes? Like, what about it? Jesus Christ! Here's what I would say. Here here would be my 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 counter argument. My my rebuttal. Um, I'm not saying he had a good game. However, you just ran through why the back line was so problematic basically position by position, not just one player, where the back line throughout, where the player that you defended as having a good game picked up a yellow card within approximately a second and a half of kickoff, right? That was the good player. And so at some point, you have to share responsibility a little bit here. I think that he was uh, out of position in some cases, but I think it was the third goal, the one that was so 
kind of here, there, and everywhere. The ball kind of went everywhere, and then he just didn't move on the shot. He had nowhere to go. Um, to me, that wasn't a goalkeeper error. That was just the goalkeeper being spun like a top because no one could do anything to stop the run of play. And, and so the, the I, third goal was by far the only one where I think he had no culpability in it, right? Like, that was a great okay. shot by Clayston. But but the other two, I mean, like, it just out out to bay on one of them. Well, I believe it was the second one. He just Yeah, I, the, the second one was bad. The second one was – was like, yeah, that's on him. That's on him. He's gonna, he's gonna have to, like I said, or he's gonna have to wear that one. Um, but yeah, I thought it was bad. I didn't think it was uh, like world ending, as you said. We're going to Mars with Marsman. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was bad. And unfortunately, when you look at what again the scenario we're laying out here in this first game, um, LA Galaxy were not an exceptional team last year, um, and they have. Better coaching. Uh, Vinny is, uh, you know, a treble winner, um, a, a respectable name. He knows what he's doing. Um, and so you would ex- expect improvement there. But I don't think anyone is really anticipating for them to go bananas this year. And they're, they're, they were so efficient in their scoring. And when they got chances, they finished them. And like you said, it was usually chances that were spurned on by some sort of systemic failure in in the back line, right? And so where do you see improvement in that? Where can that be improved? Are you swapping players or is it just, they need more time together? If it's that, then, okay, maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll be looking back and say, Hey, you know what? They ironed it out. Um, you know, that was, that was a, digging back the archives. That was a Miami FC thing where the, the defense was abysmal. And then you start putting the pieces and you move someone here, or there. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, they got it. You know, like, okay, they, they've, they've got that piece. The problem is, is that I, I don't think again, comparing talent, you know, McCarthy is no Indio Vega in terms of like, you know, he's a good keeper. He's just getting betrayed by his defense. I don't think that's that. I think McCarthy is a serviceable keeper, like a caretaker keeper who could do okay until you get in the player you want. And we all know, I mean, look, Inter Miami obviously doesn't think he's, he's that great of a player either, or else we wouldn't have a player coming in in July. We think he can do a job for a period of time and then fall into that, back into that backup role. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a long way until July. I mean, last year, you know, you bring in Matuidi and Iguain to try to salvage the season, and, you know, the season's basically gone by the time they got in. It was too late, you know? So, we'll see. So, looking ahead into the Philadelphia Union roster, we get Alejandro Bedoya, who's finally getting his MLS homecoming, if you think about it, the Western native coming home. Um, but they also have to go up against a staunch defense. And that's another thing that Philadelphia does very well. They play really good defensively. Uh, nil-nil game coming off Columbus here. Um, Andre Blake in between the pipes, Jamaican national team goal, uh, goaltender, long time uh, Jamaican national team goaltender. It's kind of remarkable to think that he's kind of been in that job for about seven years now and always kind of been a thorn on the side of the U.S. men's national team, sometimes when it seems to count. Um, definitely a frustrating goalkeeper to play against. But the nice part that you can see is, uh, and I think the big question for this match is going to be, can Inter-Miami's uh, attack keep up its toward pace that we saw in the LA Galaxy against a team that, you know, can lock it down here um, and, and play some really difficult uh, defense when it's necessary? I guess the answer is that, no. Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, hey, go ahead, Franco. I mean, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to tell. I'll just say... You know, they pocketed Zardes really well last week um, against Columbus. Um, they held Diaz in check pretty well. Um, I think that if if you're using this 4-2-3-1, one, 
there's going to be chances where you can override their diamond midfield. And so that gives me a little bit of hope. Um, but I, I've just got questions about how we're going to like the questions really, I think at this point are more at the back than they are in midfield or up front, right? Like they looked pretty decent up front as we talked about earlier. So to me is how are we going to handle Montejo? How are we going to handle Fontana? Right? Like that, that's really where, where, where I'm really concerned about. Cause I think we can create two or three good chances, you know? Um, and if we can put one away, I think we'll be in good stead. It's that defense. Like, are, are they really going to be able to hold this team in check? Um, I will say that the, the, the last week's match between the union and, and the crew was a, uh, I'm going to say in, in a scrappy <laughs> affair. Uh, you know, there were, I think, somewhere in the realm of seven yellow cards, if I remember correctly, and most of them were by Philadelphia. So the defending, yes, they, 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 held out to, they held on to a shutout, but they got physical. And if you can, I think with some of these folks, you might be able to, to get them into, into bookings early on. And there's a temperament question for me with the union as well. You know, um, can someone as, as canny as EYN maybe give them real problems? Might, might be a thing. So I have hope. I wouldn't be a fan if I didn't have hope. Uh, but I, I think it's, the, it's at the back where, where I'm more concerned uh, than I am with the, the attack on this one. Well, yes, these are all fair questions, and I think something that's going to be answered definitely on Saturday within those 90 minutes of play. Um, moving on here into the next co- topic of conversation. I don't know why I keep always saying moving on to the next topic of conversation and then can realizing I, can I, say something I need to go back. And, and discuss something before we move on. Go ahead, Franco. Omar, can I just say, this was, this was a, because I, I think Matt referred to it at the beginning, and I just, I, I like, don't feel comfortable not saying this on this podcast. They were second best on the field, and their, the operations to get into the stadium was third rate at best, right? Like, it, I, it was really, really, really difficult for me to understand the attitude of some of the people that were abandoning traffic, that were pushing people. It seems like there had been All no right, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm going to stop you right there because a lot of that stuff is contractual hires, right? These are firms being contracted in by the club. Yes, right? Like Because we fought those battles even, you know, during the Miami SC runs for years and years. Like, yes. Well, even before we were in the press box, we we fought those battles. And even after we're in the press box, we kept fighting those battles, right? So, like, that, don't – you cannot chastise a when I when I'm given a contract out to. When I am given a banner – that is a reprint of something that was printed or that was printed a year ago. <laughs> like the that's day different. about the, like, that's different. That, that's not, we're not talking about stadium stuff there, here. But I'm just saying there, there are certain things that showed up right in, in how they are treating the guests and how there was no one to welcome guests into the stadium, uh, into a brand new stadium at first. Right. There are just some things that, that they should have had in terms of infrastructure that weren't in place. The parking situation was rough y'all. I mean, like, there was a, there was some people that had been in that line for parking for over an hour and a half. Like that's that's tough. That's tough. I would say yeah. give them time. Give them time to sort it out. I remember going to Orlando City matches the first season uh, in their inaugural year, and it was you know it was it was it was a shit show. Let's let's be quite honest, right? I think teams need enough time. And, and granted, again, you know this is why twenty twenty was such a dry run because they got the dry run of the performance on the pitch, right? But they didn't get the dry run of the full scale event that every game is or that every home match will be, right? Because at the end of the day, it's an event, right? You're hosting an event. You're welcoming eight to 16,000 people, you know, into your your confines. And then you've got to make sure that they have ample food and ample security and and ample amenities and everything else. So 
I, I think they're going to get the dry run. I think I would say you got to give them some time here because it's still very agreed. Long. Agreed. But what happens when this is a full capacity venue and it is not a socially distant venue? That's my only fear here. Yeah, we're going to be a long ways away from that, though. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. I guess no. until June. We're in Florida, baby. No, the, it's it's three games. They have two more games at fifty percent, and they're going full bore. That's the plan. And yeah, I, right. I think I think this is. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't think a lot of people understand this, I uh, understand and I think it. it is extraordinary hubris to have come out and made that statement to basically be the first team in MLS to come out and forget Florida. We all get it. We understand ha, 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 Florida, blah, blah, blah. But specifically, Orlando's not doing this yet, as far as I know. This is Inter-Miami. It is incredible hubris to come out and say after – well, before that game, before they even, even hosted a game at half capacity, we're going to do three of these things and ramp up to full capacity. May I'm 29th. very – May 29th, full capacity. Yes, not even June. Not even June. A month and two weeks, basically. They're going to get two more games and a half – and then ramp up full. And I'm very intrigued to see that. As you said, Franco, this is a stadium that for 20 years has never hosted a crowd bigger than 10,000 people, right? Even in the, the, the Halcyon striker days, uh, you, you never had five figures. Um, the infrastructure there is what it is. And, and it's a beautiful stadium. And it's a beautiful complex, but it's built basically in kind of an industrial warehouse you know, like for those of you not familiar with airport. Fort Lauderdale, if you're not familiar from Lauderdale, they built it in Fort Lauderdale's Doral, right? It's warehouses. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's warehouses, y'all. Yeah. And so I, I'm, it's going to be really interesting to see how they try to get 16,000 people in there. Um, and I hope they pull it off. And I hope this is one of those things, you know, normally when you open up a new venue, you get two or three dry runs where you have a smaller crowd. I was at Marlins Park for the first baseball game played there. It was Miami Marlins versus University of Miami Hurricanes. Uh, and it was 5,000 people. And I was also there for the first real game against the Cardinals. And it was full bore. And the full game was fine because they had a couple of bites at the apple. You know, they right. had that college game. They had yep. another college game. I they think had the they FIU had a high school game, yep. game there. Yep. And they, they got, they ironed out the kinks. Inner Miami is they have a game and then a wait, and then a game and then a wait. And, you know, they don't get to kind of stack up their successes and failures. They've got to kind of sit on it for a while. So it's going to be very interesting to see over the next month, can they get right re- with everything going on? Can they get ready for that too? Because that's going to be, if, if they have the same kind of performance with twice the crowd size, it's going to be real ugly. And that's the last thing they want to do is turn people off from going to games. And that and that crowd, by the way, was on fire. There was really – I said this on Twitter. Look, I liked my, my Bulldog supporter group when I was there in Colorado, right? This crowd was louder at half capacity than a lot of those Rapids games that I went to, you know? Um, so Colorado, sounded get your great. shit straight. Get your shit it's, straight, Colorado. <laughs> it sounded great on the broadcast. I, I, had to, I had to remark on that too. I was like, hey, how many people are there? And, you know, we're, we're, I'm not – I'll let you know if it sounds bad. I'll let you know if it's that, you know, I'm, I'm, I, it sounded really good. I was quite impressed with the presentation, the visual of it and the audio aspect of it on TV, at least I thought was exceptional. I thought it was a great, I thought the club, the, the presentation of what we saw on TV looked fantastic, right? You had David Beckham there. You had Tom Brady there, you know, you had star power, you know, the Bonnie. Yeah. (laughs) You had, you had a lot of what you would want except to win. And so now they got to work on that. Yeah, this is not Magic City epidemiology, but 
Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going at full capacity. So maybe I'll make one of the next two games. You're not going to find my ass there at full capacity, not anytime soon. Uh, we will have previews of the next couple matches. Obviously, we'll have previews of the Saturday match coming up. So take a look at our website, magiccity.soccer, for the preview article. We will have a recap article of the match as well, which we did not have this week, which is why this pod is coming out a little bit later, maybe a little bit earlier. I don't know. It depends how we do things. It's been a little while since we've had a structured schedule around these parts. Um, but yes, that'll be the case. Uh, as we've mentioned again, Inter-Miami will play on Saturday on the road at the Philadelphia Union, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody correct me, on the road, correct? Yes, correct? should be on correct. the road. I didn't make an ass of myself already. It's one game into the season, good. All right. I mean, um, yes, but not about this. Yes, yeah, so that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I make an ass of myself all the time. Anyway, moving on across the pond here, we did want to touch on something uh, that did break and then... Here we go. And then broke. unbroke. It broke and broke again. Uh Within the course of almost 48 hours, the European Super League was announced on Monday. Was it Monday when it came out? Yes, I believe it was Monday. The European Super League announces on Monday with about 12 to 16 teams, uh, the six major players in Britain, right? We all know who they are. Uh, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and, and a couple other teams. Um came out the and Italian said, teams let's call it what it is yes Juventus, Milan, Juventus in the Milans right <laughs> yes and both Milans correct or, or I shouldn't say because no there's again now I'm barking back to high school days there's no such thing as Inter Milan Omar it's just Inter yes Inter all right so Internazionale yes so uh <laughs> how's that lawsuit going by the way anyway that's another pod <laughs> so that's another pod um speaking of which Yes, European Super League gets formed. All of a sudden, there is a massive outcry by not only fans, uh, the UEFA, right? Club presidents, opposing managers, managers of the clubs who have decided that they want that they're going to move. Um, And it has been a massive clusterfuck that has resulted in a lot of heads rolling, for lack of better words. A lot of guys who fans have been craving and supporters have been craving for people to leave are leaving. Oh, shocker, right? Um, and just as quickly as it came, it, it, it went away because of all of this uproar. Um, so European Super League, rest in peace, 2021 to 2021. Uh, <laughs> what are the thoughts here about how quickly it came and how quickly it went? I'm going to pitch over to Matt first and then, and then go over to Franco after. So I, I want to talk about two parts of this, which is the actual carrying out of the business side and like how this impacts me as a fan of a club that's involved. Uh, We're all a fan of club that's involved here. I'm a fan of Liverpool, as I've talked about before, Omar and Frank are both uh, avid fans of Manchester United. I want to talk about the business side. I can't believe that 15 of the highest profile sports organizations in the world colluded and combined to come up with a plan and didn't ask anyone. I, I can't believe it. They just didn't run it by anyone. Anyone, literally anyone. If they had brought it up to anyone in Europe, they would have told them, what are you, insane? This is the craziest thing. I, and I don't know if I have ever or will ever get more worked up about something this. So I'm telling you right now, strap it, strap it down. Um, or to quote Sugat, strap it on. Um, I can't fathom that the people involved in this didn't consult their fan groups, didn't consult their players, didn't consult their managers. Like just from someone that has an interest in following business, 
I can't conceive of, you know, I saw this joke on Twitter. It's true. New Coke, move over, right? The worst marketing business strategy in the history of modern business was the Super League. And they had worked so hard behind the scenes, apparently. They had lined up funding with J.P. Morgan. They had a logo. They had a website. They had thought this thing was just going to sail into port. And were they insane? Had they lost their minds? Okay, that's the first part. Just as someone that is an observer of economics and business, what, what fucking insanity to think that this was in I any way a good idea. One. Yes, yeah, mar- mark it off. Second point, I have been a supporter of Liverpool Football Club since May 29, 2005. Prior to that day, I hated soccer. I did not like soccer. And my friend told me I had to watch the Champions League final because it was on ESPN2 at 2.30 on a Wednesday. We were seniors in high school, and we got off early from school. And he was a big soccer fan. He said, it's the Super Bowl. You have to watch it. You know, people don't like football. They watch the Champions You know, they watch the Super Bowl. People don't like soccer. They watch Champions League. I'm like, okay, whatever. Team goes down 3-0. I'm like, hey, I'm wrong. There is scoring in soccer, but this other team sucks something terrible. Like, how embarrassing for them. They wind up coming back and winning the Champions League. That team was Liverpool. And since that day, I was convinced that soccer was actually something. It was worth following as a fan because it was fun and interesting. And I danced with what brought me, right? And I had I have followed the club for 15 years. And basically, the worst 15 years to follow Liverpool Football Club in the last 60, right? Between, say, 2000. May, you know, May 2006 and 2016, a decade, solid decade, you know, Roy Hodgson administration, Hicks Gillette, you know, just routinely being the punching bag of the other major clubs in Europe. I have never, never been as embarrassed to be a fan of Liverpool Football Club than I have been in the last week. Never. And it's not close. Like literally when the club was facing relegation because of its poor business practices, it was still not as embarrassing to have to be dug out at the last minute. It was not as embarrassing as to see Liverpool associated with this. And I know that the supporters in Liverpool in England, they carry an entirely different history than I do. And I don't carry all the burdens and scars of of past events. Like I don't carry Hillsborough with me. That's not my, my burden to bear. I'm aware of it and I know the history and I respect it, but I didn't live through that. Right. I don't know all the other things, but knowing what I know about the club to have the chairman and owner of the club be involved in such a plan for, for just simply this, for everything that the European cup has given Liverpool, for everything that that competition has meant to the club to abandon it like that, he should be out today. And I have always been an adamant supporter of John Henry. I thought he has been a good steward, someone that rescued the club at the point of its greatest, uh, you know, desperation, right? Um, And brought it to the greatest heights, a Champions League title and a league title. He should be gone by the close of business tomorrow. And there's no recovery it's over for him and he may own the club and he may claim profits, but he will never regain his stature on Merseyside. And I, 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 there are lots of people that think this will blow over. I can assure you from the people I know who are supporters, this will never, never blow over. He can own the club 40 more years. It will never blow over. He is done. 
He is done. The fact that you had supporters considering the fact that Jurgen Klopp was going to walk out in front of the media and resign. If they have to pick, Klopp can walk into that boardroom and kick his ass out of it. And no one on Merseyside, he wouldn't get arrested for doing it. That's the relationship between the manager and the fans. And John Henry completely miscalculated. And he may recover his profits. He will never recover his reputation. And I don't know how he stays in that position. And I'm done. <laughs> well, I, listen, I discounted John Henry when he traded Gary Shuffy from the Marlins in 98. So that's a whole <laughs> different animal altogether. Franco, your thoughts on the European Super League come and gone? I'm a Red Sox fan. So John Henry, thank you. Thank you for so much for all of the work you've put in. Um, no, I mean, you know, so Amanda, I like that you took it back to, to the Champions League as your first match. Uh, I was doing a group project. I asked that game to be put on ESPN2. I saw 3-0. I turned it off at halftime. And then I basically ignored my teammates and my uh, project as that awful, awful comeback happened by mm-hmm. Liverpool uh, in that final. So thanks for making me relive that trauma. Uh, and I have never visited that uh, that student's house ever since, or my uh, my my co-student at the time, because we were students at the time. Uh, and never never went back to that house. Unsurprisingly, it's haunted. It should be burned down and raised and left to left as a memorial to terrible things. Um, you know, it's interesting the way you set this conversation up. Let me let me start off with the first part of this, which was um, part of what I do professionally is fundraising. And if there's one thing that I have learned, it's that there is this idea that because someone has money, they're brilliant, they're smart. Mm-hmm. Let me assure you, <laughs> as someone who has worked with these communities, right? And when I say like wealthy folks, I mean like the sort of people who need to give away $2 million a day to not get richer, right? So like those are the folks who I've worked with in, in some cases. I would just say that we, we put a certain value on money and on those who are moneyed that, that translates to intellectual superiority or, or news or, or education. And I think we forget one thing, which is the, the level, the bubbles that these folks live in, right? And the, the inability of these folks to, to be able to connect with sort of the common man because of their, their wealthy status, whether it's the Glazers or Henry or Fiorentino Perez, right? Like these are folks who have just lived in a, in a bubble for so long and has so many yes people around them that it is hard for them to be able to connect once again to people. I've been a United fan for 25 years, 20, yeah, 25 years or so now, right? Um, and I've never once thought that the Glazer family was anything but in it for the money, right? The when you talk about the hubris of them not consulting anybody, that sounds just like the Glazers, right? Like, mm. think about how long I've been waiting for a director of football at my club, right? Like, um, the fact that they didn't invite an Ajax, a Porto, a Celtic, some of these other, like, what I'll call smaller teams, but we have deep, deep histories into these leagues is wild to me. The fact that they really expected these fan-owned teams like Barcelona, like Real Madrid, like the German clubs, to come in on board with them and that the fans would never kick up a stir is absolutely crazy to me. Um, but that is the hubris that sometimes we see amongst those who are very wealthy, who have a certain viewpoint and think that through the sheer force of both their resources and their personality that they can get something done. 
right? And that they can force something through. Um, the fact that they had no real talking points, the fact that they hadn't fully thought out a lot of these things, the Super League lasted less time than Jesus Christ was dead. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> and these folks had no crisis management plan at any point. Like, it's just, it's crazy to me, right? The fact that they were able to make a team as dislikable as Leipzig into a heroic figure in all of this. A team that is literally a corporate team said no to them because they thought it was too greedy, right? The fact that you were able to see a team like PSG, which is a state-owned entity, basically, and <laughs> from a country that has severe human rights abuses. This was such a bad plan that UEFA was able to look good out of something out of something for once, right? Like, it almost feels like a red flag to me, this Champions League reforms that actually went through on Monday, right? Like, we were all looking the other way because the Super League was so tragically bad. The Champions League reforms that went through are also bad, and they're also geared toward keeping these teams in place. But nobody's talking about that today because of the fact that these reforms were so bad. So, uh, to me, you know, the, the surprise about the level of, of incompetence like, I, I've learned never to, to be surprised by ranking competence at this point. And the fact that they, they were able to make really dislikable players so likable in, the, in that moment is kind of crazy to me. Like, you know, we all saw the Jamie Carragher for Liverpool. We saw Gary Neville for, for United on Sky Sports, which is one of the huge contributors to this paywall pro, like thing that's happening in their country who has helped make this game more commercial than ever before, you know? Um, Money taints every part of this game, if you want to put it that way. It is it is the bedrock upon which we are able to afford some of the players and talk about the transfer market. Um, but to me, the, the way that they were able to discount what fans would think, the way that they were able to discount the traditional connections to this, and it's sort of, you know, you really look at it, and a lot of these clubs are the same clubs that were trying to, to do play classicos outside of, outside of Spain, the same clubs that tried to play major matches in, from Serie A, in places like Dubai a few years ago. This was a collection of both the greediest people possible, people like the Glazers, mixed with a collection of people who are broke and in huge debt. Barcelona has billion dollar debt. Real Madrid is, is um, building the new site in Santiago Bernabeu, right? You've got Juventus who are trying to figure out how to, how to both pay Ronaldo's uh, wages and have a, a real team out, out there at the same time. Inter Milan have been pretty much irrelevant for the last 15 years. AC Milan, not far behind them. AC Milan, who need to recon uh, reconstruct portions of the San Siro. This was the solution. And the fact that these people said, well, JP Morgan Chase is offering me $4 billion. I can go there. I'll never be relegated. To falls totally in line with what I've seen from some of these very large corporate figures. The one thing that surprised me was this was big enough for Sir Alex to actually come out and speak against the Glazers re regime. This was big enough to get Woodward to finally get shake hand. Apparently, ranking competence for your, for your, almost a decade now, right? $21 million worth wasn't enough of damage to, to, to kick him out. It just took major embarrassment to the point where you had American TV companies and like actual um, business and finance reports. Um, from the Wall Street Journal reporting on what a big failure this was, that's what it took to move the Glazers. So it's good to know that next time they do something awful, it's the financial press that we have to go to as fans in order to, to push their buttons. But I'm, I'm surprised that you're surprised, honestly, Matt. It's just, 
the 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 feeling of superiority. It's it is what it is. It is that was so eloquent. That was so eloquent by the both of you because now I'm about to come up here and and just dump the septic truck on this conversation completely. <laughs> Matt, let's what were you go. Because I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just gonna say really quick. I, I'm not. I'm not surprised that a bad idea would come into being. I'm surprised at how big the idea was without the specifics really getting out and no one, no one being consulted on the football side, no one at all. That's what surprised me. The fact that they wouldn't consider that there might be some blowback and there was so much hubris. Speaking of hubris, Florentino Perez, how that dude hasn't been pulled limb from limb yet for being the guy, like you said, Franco, these are, these are teams that answer to fans. Like you didn't think there's going to be a problem, dude. And you're out there saying that the game should be shorter, that you should shorten up a 90. Like you're, you're whole hog in. You have been brainwashed by this super league cult. And you're saying where well, we're going to shorten it to 75 minutes or whatever the hell, like get out of here. Like it was just, it's insane. There, there were parts of it. I understand why the clubs would want to do this, but like, I also understand how they'd like to take their fans and hold them upside down and shake the coins out of their pockets and collect them. But they don't do it because they know it will lead to problems down the road. This is the same thing. How did they not foresee that? That was my only point. Now, oh, the other side. Fiorentino Perez actually came out, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if this is verified, but apparently there was an interview and I saw a little snippet of it where he said, well, I think the socios would say I've done an amazing job around here. And I just kind of sat there and thought, wow, dude, you, you really don't understand the gravity of the situation here, do you? Let me preface what I'm about to say with the fact that, yes, the European Super League was an absolutely terrible idea. I don't think it made sense for anybody. And I think it was incredibly short-sighted uh by by everybody involved and and there's very few times where you look at germany and say damn they did the right thing and yet yet this this was this was one of those times right where not one german club said yeah i'm gonna get in bed with that right like whoa germany germany's leading the line on something you might have to kind of sit there and you know but thank you for the pfizer vaccine now that being said (laughs) that being said I think these are blowhards battling blowhards at the end of the day is what we had here in this situation because the European Super League, for as bad as it was, I, I think the the line or, or the rhetoric that was used against it by UEFA and by FIFA and by some of the, the presidents of, of the organizing bodies of football in Europe, uh, that it's going to ruin domestic leagues or it's going to kill football. No, I don't. I don't think it was going to equate that. Just because if you have a European Super League that's a that's outside of the scope of Champions League or outside of the scope of UEFA, that does not all of a sudden mean that domestic competitions or the FA Cup or anything else was going to take a backseat to the to, to that tournament to that one-off game in the middle of the week. Right? There was a lot of conjecture about how this is going to be the end of of of, of the domestic leagues around the world. And no, right? Like that was a very, very hyper polarization argument, which I, I don't necessarily agree with. It worked, right? It was it was the right messaging to get across because it it reached a point. And again, I'm, I want to stress the fact that I don't think the Super League was a good idea. Like I think that was a terrible idea. I was not on board with it. I'm I'm glad that Manchester United uh, decided to 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 vacate kind of their their position in that league. And 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 I piggybacking off what uh, Franco said. Yes, the Glazers need to sell the club fucking yesterday. And we've been asking for years that they sell the club. And finally, after 10 years, it's amazing the heads that have rolled from this decision and how many people are, are finally getting canned that have wanted to have been canned by their supporters uh, for, for, for many years. And it was just this stupid 48 hours that did it. Um, 
but I, I think there's a there's a lot at play here. I think there's a, a lot of kind of misguided um I'm misguided is a strong word. That's not the word I should be using. But I, I think there was a lot of things said about the Super League that would have, that were untrue. Not that they weren't deserved, but that they were untrue. I don't see a situation where the domestic league all of a sudden becomes second fiddle. Why? Because what good is Manchester United going to do without Premier League money? What good is Chelsea League going to do without Premier League money? What good is Liverpool going to do without the Premier League money? So if all of a sudden they're playing second fiddle in the Premier League, what does that? When do, what does then that now mean, right? That they're going to all of a sudden play in the Championship and forego all of those, forego all of that TV money that comes to the Premier League? No, no, that, that it, you can't play second fiddle, right? And also for all this hula like at the end of the day, listen, I get it, right? You know, Leicester, a team that has risen through the ranks won the Premier League just a few years back and got to play in Europe, um, you wouldn't have that story if you didn't have a situation uh, where, where meritocracy is of importance, right? But at the same time, you're looking at the majority of these owners, and I started thinking that, you know, a lot of the American owners' influence, a lot of these owners are looking at the American sports and thinking, we want what MLS has. We, we, we want that because – we understand now the margins that we're working in. We understand that, you know, even if we don't bring in record profits year after year after year, there's not going to be record losses year after year after year. And if I have a bad season, what's going to happen to me? Nothing, right? Because I still have that baseline of money that I'm going to have. But I, again, just the rhetoric I don't disagree, that I disagree with is that all of a sudden domestic leagues wouldn't have mattered. No, I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. And, you, and you're open and, you're, and it's fair to disagree with me here, but I don't see everybody punting on the Premier League in the case of the, the, the British Six uh, to play in the European Super League, that all of a sudden the weekend match at Burnley doesn't mean anything. No, I think it does. It doesn't so matter who worth, you are. It's worth mentioning that the, one of the Italian, one of the Milan clubs, I don't, I don't remember which one it was, said, I, I can commit to feeling a second-string side in Serie A when the when when the super league matches are going to happen right and the other thing that that kept popping up was potentially that the premier league was trying to figure out what levels of penalties they could they could they could push on these and the rumors are 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 going around britain that united led by manchester united um had actually explored joining the championship if they were kicked out of the premier league or even moving to the championship in order to raise their revenues, control more of the broadcasting money, and in, in effect saying, well, if the Premier League kicks us out, we have a secondary home here. So there, that those conversations were in place. And the other thing here is, if you're Aston Villa, just to pick a random team, right? And you're fighting to get into fifth, fourth, third spot, as, a, as, as West Ham is this year, right? Is there not a, a place where you're saying, well, okay, why am I doing this knowing that I'm never going to get the revenues in the champions, in a, in a second tier champions league than I could in the super league. But I mean, never at the end of the day, but, but, but let's be fair. Let's be fair. And, 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 and Matt, I want you to answer this question as well. Right. Nobody's watching champions league to watch fucking Granada versus Zurich. They're not, I'm, I'm sorry. Granada and Zurich might be, but the world isn't. Right? Who 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 is turning into Champions League or, or fuck Europa League? Given the case of United and Arsenal the last few years, right? Who's turning into those competitions to watch Zurich and Granada? Were you not rooting for Ajax against Real Madrid a couple of years ago, or Ajax against Liverpool? 
I'm not saying that, but but are people around the I world turn, for turning in? I want to make that clear. <laughs> turning in, but people aren't turning in. They're not tuning in for those games. So the only thing of contention is I understand the point, greedy as it is. I understand the point that the clubs in Super League were making that hey, we're the ones bringing in the attention to this competition. Every time we're in this, you look at our ratings, they're increasingly higher. There's a reason why the ones that are not behind the paywall that are the, the two or three games that we used to get on Fox Sports when Fox Sports owned the contract. And I'm not even sure. Turner still plays a few games on TBS and TNT beside putting everything else behind the Bleacher Report paywall. But who, who's watching? Why are those games the ones being picked? Why? Here's because what, the eyeballs here's are on them. The revenue comes from there. It sounds like what you want to go to is a competition that just has the champions of the leagues of Europe competing against one another. So you eliminate some of these other teams. And what I can tell you is there was a competition that did that. And the competition was the European cup before the champions league era. And it was expanded precisely so that there were more TV games that people could watch. Right. And then where did that end up with UEFA? Why is UEFA giving broadcasting deals to people who put it behind the paywalls? Well, right or wrong. because because of the revenues, because of the revenues that the extra games generate. But the extra games are not being watched. You don't buy a Bleacher Report package to watch Granada versus Sociedad on a two o'clock well, but, on a Wednesday when the there's Real Madrid they, or Ajax or Barcelona. To, if you're broadcasting, you have to pay for those games too. That's the whole trick of it. And so it seems like these teams are trying to they 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 went through the veins and now they're going between their toes. Like you, you, you push to expand the Champions League so more teams can get in it. So you have more games and you have more revenue to sell. You prove the model that people will watch more games. And then you try to cut everyone else out at the very end and say, well, no, it's not it's just going to be us. And we're just going to play a shit ton of games. You know, it's going to be Barcelona and Liverpool every three weeks. Like it, it, it's so – look, if you're, if you're running this like a business as a fiduciary responsibility and that alone, Quarter by quarter, increasing profits. Yes. Okay, fine. Get it. I understand. I, I, we all understand the logic, right? It would make sense for these teams. But it ignores the reality on the ground of what people like out of the sport. And absolutely it's, right. it's a point that I have argued before, and, and I feel like sometimes we just become like Laura after hours. Um, Chris Whittingham brought this up uh, on, on an episode of the Levitard show, I think yesterday, talking about it that seeing all the things occurring in Europe related to this, we should be ashamed in America, ashamed of the way that our sports leagues bully us around. And that's the only way. And I have felt this way before. Uh, I felt it with the, the events pushing out Hicks and Gillette in 2010. Um, you know, there's always something like this. It's never been like this before. But the, the way that fans get, what they want a pretty fair amount in Europe when push comes shove on big things like this. And we, we roll over and take it. And we, and like, I sound like the pro rallyest pro rel in the world right now, you know, talking about the closed system in America. And I have, I have defended that in some way because that has been our history, but it's only been our history because we've allowed it because that's been the way it's been. It wasn't like this before. And then the teams got antitrust exemptions and now I sound like Ted Cruz, but um, these teams got antitrust exemptions and they closed their systems and they instituted drafts and salary caps and we just all rolled over and took it. it, it we should be ashamed 
as a country that allegedly values, you know, free commerce and, and the importance of the customer and, you know, free enterprise, real free enterprise, the, the fact that we as consumers of this product have so often just rolled over and, and say, please, sir, can I have some more? It, it should be a, 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 point, a, a, a point of shame for us. And I, it really grinds my gears. It really does. And I'm part of the problem, too. I'm part of the problem too. I'm going to tune into those NFL games on Sunday at one o'clock kickoff. I'm going to watch the red zone. I'm going to tune into Sunday night baseball. I'm going to watch the Orioles when they're playing in Miami. I'm going to do all this stuff, but there is so much about our sports system that is toxic. And so much about our business system. The entire NCAA. The entire NCAA is the worst perfect example. Yeah. And I've got, I mean, if I tilt the camera over this way, I've got only about a thousand little Miami mini helmets, you know, like I'm part of the system. I'm part of the problem too. And I reckon with that and we're, we're all part of it. And, and I am very proud. I am very proud of the, because this is from the bottom up and, and look, admittedly FIFA and UEFA are not heroes in this. They suck too. I'm come fully and completely. And if you were to talk to anyone on the street in those protests, they would say the same thing. We all know this. But at the same time, there are certain tenets of the game and principles of the game that have generally been upheld throughout the world. And this is one of them. And the, the, the Super League completely violated that with no consultation from the greater world of soccer. And it got exactly what it deserved. It got shit canned. Like the shit canniest shit canning of all time. It got dumped and good. I think we all saw the tweet that said that for 72 hours, the world was finally united. everybody rivalries were put on pause political disagreements religious disagreements were put on pause because we were all pissed off about this now we're back now i can talk shit about how liverpool sucked this year and all that stuff to matt (laughs) we're ahead of you by like 13 points never saw that coming a year ago right we're real bad but i mean considering we're still in the fight for champions league we're real bad but thank god we're in the fight for champions like oh my god i had the realization i cannot tell you how much it hurt me on monday when i realized wait when when um um, I've got Arlo Neville, Arlo Neville, Arlo White. I made him Aaron Neville, the singer. When Arlo White said that Liverpool at the opening of that match, and it was, I didn't even watch the match out of protest, but I saw the clip on social media when he said uh, that Liverpool were in a fight uh, to qualify for a competition they may never play in again. Like I, it, I teared up, like legitimately and honestly, I teared up at the thought that Liverpool would never play in the Champions League again, that would never compete for the European Cup again. It broke my heart. And I was like, I can't, I will never, I would never have watched a game they played in, in the Super League. And that's ultimately what did it, is there are a lot of people that said that and meant that. I would never have watched a second of the Super League. I was genuinely torn because I, I know, you know, again, I've, I've invested 25 years of my life into, uh, into United. And I don't know how I would have, would have dealt with, uh, with having to deal with, with, uh, with having to watch United in that league. Because I just, there, there's something just, you know, as a principle, that felt off about this one. Uh, it almost felt as bad as having to root for Leeds United in any situation. And I was rooting for them on Monday to, <laughs> to beat Liverpool uh, just because of this. Not even, it wasn't even like a, like a, oh, it's Liverpool we're playing against. It was literally yeah. just like, I hate Leeds too, but I still hope they beat the shit out of them. <laughs> I was rooting that ball to go in for the, and for the you time. Know what? I, I, I was kind of rooting for them too. I, I, I wanted karmic justice and I felt that it was appropriate that we did not get that win the other night. We did not deserve it. And if we don't qualify for Champions League this year, I'm not going to be that chuffed about it because 
we deserve it for being in, in, engaged this. And you know that we, we were at the front of it. We were not at the back end. We weren't coming on at the tail end. We were spearheading it. And it's so shameful. It's, it's such a shameful chapter in club history that I just, it's really disheartening. That does not apply to Manchester United Football Club. If you don't qualify for the Champions League, I will be pissed. Ultra fail, considering where we are uh, in the yeah. table. But yes, yes that, that, would be, that would be pretty bad. Um, so we're going to go ahead and bring this one in here for a landing. Obviously, my hot take and my gas bag moment. I do want to articulate again, right? I was playing devil's advocate, advocate over the last 10 to 15 minutes. But Omar again, already so- bought Super League patches for his, uh, for his kit. I saw yeah. it. I saw Yes, I did. I did. No, I'm just kidding. He was ready um, to go, man. He was so ready for that Super League um, match of Manchester dude. United versus Inter Milan in Miami. I mean, I'm, we're, listen, we're already getting Manchester United versus Roma here in a couple weeks. So, I mean, listen, it was just going to be a preview of things to come, right? In the yeah. Europa League, <laughs> Manchester United versus Roma. Um, that being said, we are going to bring this one in here for a landing again. Um, devil's Advocate, I'm happy the Europa Super League, the Europa Super League. That's what we, that, that's appropriate name, the Europa Super League. Piece of crap. Yeah. Yes, terrible decision. Uh, as I mentioned previously, if Germany's doing something right and uh, clearly on the right side of things and you're not on the right side of things there, oof, you did something wrong. Um, so it's, it's something to keep it uh, abreast here. It'll be interesting to see the rest of the fallout, but gentlemen, the funniest part is the only manager of the European Super League to ever be sacked in the history of the European Super League is Jose Mourinho. Very nicely done. Spurs. Truly the special <laughs> one. <laughs> Truly the only one of a kind. The only person who could <laughs> accomplish such a feat. Very well done. Uh, <laughs> so as we mentioned, Inter-Miami CF uh, will take the field on Saturday uh, against the Philadelphia Union. Again, look at Magic City Soccer, Magic City Soccer, uh, which is our website for the recap and then for the, um, I'm sorry, the preview, then for the recap coming in uh, probably Sunday or Monday. And then we will follow up with another podcast coming in next week to recap that game and then go ahead and look at the next week of head. Um, everything is kind of coming to a climax here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, law school, uh, school season, uh, Matt and I are definitely going to be happy and, and definitely be more engaged about this one. The uh, school year is over, so I'm happy for I that. I am, I am super happy. Yeah, right. Tell, <laughs> tell me about it, my friend. Yeah. I am super happy as well that we've brought on a couple new faces. We are looking for additional help. Again, there's a lot of soccer in South Florida, man. And, and if anybody really tells you that there is not a lot of soccer in South Florida, they're a liar, right? So, um, again, I am very thankful to Franco and to Joel and to Nick Nunez, um, a couple other guys who are coming in and will be featured in the next couple episodes here as we progress throughout the season. Um, we are looking for help. So if you do want to come on board and help cover some of the lower leagues, even some of the higher leagues, hey, man, listen, we can use all the help we can get. Please reach out to us on social media. Our Twitter is at Magic City Soccer. Our Instagram is Magic City Sock, S-O-C, because, again, the people in Montana who own the Magic City Soccer Instagram handle do not respond. They haven't posted in six years. I'm kind of hoping that account goes inactive at some point so we can swipe it for free. Because I'd be willing to pay for it. But yeah, yeah we need to swipe it for free. So Omar, Omar yeah. also chasing after the MySpace for Magic City Soccer. Yeah, well, Tom, where you at, bro? Let me let me get that MySpace. I'm going to put music on the page. Slash Magic City Soccer. <laughs> All right. Franco Caliz. Your, your inaugural episode. Uh, your Wait, can I put out it. a request? Can I put out a request? I've got a five-year-old who's actually sleeping in the other room. And if I wake him up, they're going to murder me. He might actually murder me. But 
if anybody knows of a, uh, a soccer league that's starting up somewhere or a soccer team that's opening up somewhere for five-year-olds, let me know. We're, we're, I'm, I'm looking around, but it doesn't seem like the parks have, have too much information up on their websites. So uh, at F. Khalees, if you, can, uh, if you know of a, of a league anywhere around here for, for uh, young ones. I mean, why, what are you waiting for the podcast? I mean, are you kidding me? You waited for the podcast to do this? We could have found this out pre-show. Come on. What are you, what are you doing here? Yes, I I'm understand. a man of the people, Omar. I'm a man yes, of the people. Yes, so he says. You can find him on Twitter at F. Khalees, Matthew S. Bunch. Sir, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, they can find me pretty much everywhere on social media at Matthew S. Bunch, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I, I think that's it. Clubhouse. Thank you, Franco. Um, but not TikTok because I'm not a high school student. So pretty much everywhere else, though. Yes, stands for Salty Liverpool Fan. And you can find me, Omar Mubayat, at Mubayat11 <laughs> on Twitter, uh, at Flumarilius on Instagram, even though it's private, so I will not be accepting that friend request. But... Yes, Magic so City let Soccer you know about on all it, social media. You will be denied. <laughs> yes, you will be denied. I don't want to let you know where I'm at. You'll find my profile picture. It ain't happening, boys. Not happening. Um, but yes, guys, again, a lot coming down the pipeline. We appreciate you listening if you're still listening at this point in time. And as our sign-off always is, go under Miami CF, go Miami SC, and go Miami Soccer. And go five-year-old Super League. Like Super League for five-year-olds. 